Welcome to the Inspired to Be Authentic podcast. I'm your host, Matt Lancedal. Inspired to Be Authentic is a podcast where we converse with people who are living their most authentic lives. We get real with our guests and talk openly about how they live with courage to be themselves. We explore barriers they have overcome to be more authentic and aligned to themselves and their purpose. Today is episode 31, and I am joined with Ken Reed. Him and I did a instagram live on spiritual bypassing and i have repurposed the audio here on the podcast so you guys can consume it in the way that best serves you so enjoy the conversation we're unpacking everything spiritual bypassing and emotional avoidance and teaching how to start to feel your emotions matt how are you going i am going well (laughs) I'm actually very glad that we're talking about this because I was just mentioning as the preamble to this. I feel like toxic positivity, spiritual bypassing, it's definitely all under the same umbrella of this theme. And I feel like for a lot of people who engage in religious and spiritual practices, this is something where it's actually quite relevant to talk about. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So as we get into this, I'd love to start off with by asking, who are you, what do you do, and share a little bit about um, what you're currently up to. Okay. Um, well, so my name is Matt, Matt Lancedal. I um, have a brand called Inspired to be Authentic. So my work is essentially working with highly sensitive people and gay men, and I teach them how to heal shame, heal trauma, and move towards more an authentic and empowered sense of self. Um, so yeah, so I have um, two projects, two communities that I work with. I work with the Gay Men's Brotherhood, um, building the Gay Men's Brotherhood, and then... Um, authentic relating and empowerment for highly sensitive people. So I'm kind of moving and dancing between these two worlds. And, um, I see a lot of, um, I see a lot of emotional avoidance, which is in the spiritual world called spiritual bypassing. I see a lot of this in the work that I do. So, um, I feel like this is a really awesome thing to be uh, sharing with the world and possibly sharing some, some pointers on how to, how to start to feel. That's what this comes down to, right? Oh yeah. I think it's very hard to feel if we're operating out of a place of survival. And in many cases, we aren't even aware of that because we go about our day doing things. And I think that for, particularly as us as gay men, it's hard being gay in a very heteronormative world. And I think it can be equally challenging to just connect with our feelings when we've been told for so long to numb it down. So before I continue this, for those people who don't know me on your end, so my name is Ken. I'm a holistic healing coach. I used to be a gay dating and relationship coach, but transitioned into this space because I love working with high-achieving coaches, business owners, and entrepreneurs who are looking to stop the pattern of dating emotionally unavailable partners and to actually attract committed, healthy people in their lives. And a lot of that, I find, is by connecting my clients back to themselves and in so many cases in this entrepreneurial space that we exist in especially in the spiritual side of things i see a lot of toxic positivity i see a lot of people who engage in like the manifestation world they talk a lot about you know using the secret to just think positively and good things will come but in my view i've always said If you haven't worked through and healed yourself, whatever you manifest will be more pain and suffering in the form of a new opportunity, a new job, 
or a new person in your life. But anyways, I'd love to hear from your end. What would be your definition of spiritual bypassing and why is it so dangerous? Hmm. Well, I think spiritual bypassing would be essentially avoiding emotions, avoiding the the things in life that we don't want to, that we don't want to sit with. Um, you look at uh, the, the the spiritual journey. The spiritual path is about integration and about shadow and um, about light. Right, both get a seat at the table. And I think when we are so fearful of our shadows, we do things to avoid and bypass having to be with that. Right. So that might look like um, addiction. It might look like um, repression or suppression. Uh, dissociation, numbing, um, any of these sorts of things. And in the gay context, and gay men, a lot of gay men are using um, sex as an escape, hookups, grinder, the pursuit, all of that as a, as a mechanism to avoid um, and, and spiritual bypassing. And then, you know, you have the traditional term of, of spiritual bypassing, which is that toxic positivity, that, you know, only positive vibes are, 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 are welcome here, that sort of thing. So it's like, okay, we're going to a retreat, everybody's spiritual, everybody's high vibration, um, low vibes not allowed here. That's kind of like the classic definition of, of spiritual bypassing, but it has a lot of layers, a lot of flavors for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I think to compliment what you said, it's I've seen in a more religious context, spiritual bypassing being a methodology where in order to get closer to God, people have had to not talk about some very severe things that they're going through, including physical, emotional, sexual abuse. And they're shunned for even talking about it because they're told, well, if you talk about this, that makes you a weak person and you're not going to be with God in the afterlife. And so essentially it can be a form of gaslighting because we're being told to disconnect ourselves from our intuition Mm -hmm. and to follow scripture in a religious context without really engaging with some of those very painful aspects of who we are. And I often see a lot of that manifest itself in chronic pain when people aren't able to listen to their body because they're so worried that if they engage in these negative thoughts, they're going to be damned forever. Yeah. Yeah. You see that a lot with people who've experienced trauma, right? And what you just described there, in my opinion, is, is dissociation, is, is basically cutting and severing the connection between the mind and the body, uh, that's what dissociation is, essentially. And we become numb and we learn not to feel our feelings. And I think in our early years, this is a very adaptive and brilliant strategy because it's what we use to survive. It's a survival mechanism. So human beings, we're so, so brilliant and we're, we're very adaptive. And, but it, it, it hits a certain point when we're no longer around those traumatizing situations or people and it becomes maladaptive because we're not feeling our feelings. And this is where we need to learn how to feel. We need to learn how to get back down into the body where we can have the experience of our intuition, of knowing what our needs are, of our truth, right? Our truth is in our body. It's not in, our, in the mind and in the stories and the conditioning that we tell ourselves. That's concepts of self. That's not self. Um, so I think the, 
Yeah, embodiment is key. It's so, so key. And that's the journey that I'm heading towards in, in my work is really, really rooting into teaching people how to connect back to their bodies. And that's how you heal shame. That's how you heal trauma. And those are the two streams that I, that I work with. Um, so, yeah, it's very important. Very important. Mm. I think it's funny you bring up like disassociation because I feel like, yes, I agree with you. It's a very powerful, it is a very powerful survival mechanism. And I also think it definitely, it definitely outlives its usefulness for our happiness in the now, because I think many of us, when we were kids, we didn't really have much of a choice. We grew up in a very difficult environment where in many cases our parents didn't give us perhaps all of our needs, particularly emotional needs. And so if you're going to school, you're bullied, you have parents who are abusive in one form or another, disassociation is great, but it does mean that for many of us, we end up being very traumatized. We end up having real mind-body connection issues. I mean, from all the research I've seen, that's where we often see a lot of people who have IBS, digestion-related issues, have a lot of anxiety, depression, and these are just the body's natural way of saying, we are so disconnected right now. Can we please, like, reconnect ourselves? And I think one thing I often find myself every now and then is daydreaming. Like, every now and then I'll just blank out for a little bit and I'll be like, whoa, I just spaced out for a second there and when I do that now I find myself just constantly thinking like what's my body need me to think about in this particular moment or what am I missing when I'm interacting with people too and I think that for many of us who aren't even aware of what's going on we can just live our lives this way in autopilot in survival mode and I think I remember, I don't know about you, Matt, like there was a time when I used to be quite proud of being cold, robotic, and angry even at times too. Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't have any emotions. I'm an emotionless, you know, rock. Um, and I thought it was attractive to be emotionless. And, oh, boy, that backfired magnificently when it all came out of me like a volcano. What's your experience been like with that? Oh, God. The reason why I'm laughing is because you're reminding me of my first relationship. I was with him for eight years. Man, the poor guy had to put up with my repressed ass. <laughs> I, was just, <laughs> I was so shut down and so avoidant. Um, and, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty crazy thinking about it. And I didn't realize at the time or, that it was dissociation. It was me um, wearing my mask of, of being stoic um, because I didn't want to have to feel my feelings. Right? I was I was an undiagnosed and unaware, highly sensitive person with an overactive nervous system. So my only way of coping with, with life and my traumas was to completely dissociate and shut off. And um, being in a relationship with somebody like that is, is very, very challenging because I was that. Then I, I ended that relationship and I got into two relationships after that with, with where I started opening my heart and becoming more flooded by my emotions so I was I was more anxious on the spectrum and um, these these men were avoidant so I got a taste of my own medicine and uh, it's very difficult dating an emotionally avoidant man <laughs> I'm sure you've lived both sides of the coin very much of that experience too. Yeah. yeah oh god that relates so hard to my experience as well it was very much like that for me I was on the avoidant side of the spectrum and then 
just enough emotion cracked me open like an egg where I then all just started to come up and I was like, damn, that's karma for you right there. Uh, And I think, you know, to tie this into our lived experience, I think when it comes to being a gay man, I think that in many cases it's easy to be avoidant because I think a lot of us, for one reason or another, have gone through a lot of trauma. A lot of us don't really want to deal with the crap that's beneath us too. And so I think running away is easy. And it's so funny when we hear the excuses of people being like, oh, I'm a heartbreaker or, you know, uh, I just don't think a relationship is for me. I value my independence, which, you know, believe it or not, are actually very common things that we often hear, but often carry a very darker underlying message of, I don't want to deal with the crap that's underneath me because... That's not what I'm here to do. I'm just here to pop in for a good time. I'll love you until I've had too much and then I'll run. And I think because we are a community without a lot of healthy role models, it's hard to practice regulation. It's hard to show the differences between like how unhealthy pure stoicism is versus integrating and learning to connect with our bodies as well. Yeah. It's huge and it's so spiritual bypassing is it used to be and still can be such a trigger for me because um, it's it's people oftentimes when people are spiritually bypassing, they are representing themselves as being whole and being complete and being figured out and regulated and but really they're just over regulated that's what is that's really what spiritual bypassing and emotional avoidance is is you're over regulating your own emotions and you're not allowing yourself to feel. So, but there's two sides to that coin. Sure, you're not allowing yourself to feel the deep, dark, shitty emotions, but you're also shutting yourself off from feeling joy and love and bliss and connection and all the other things that come with it, right? It's, you don't get to select which emotions you want to feel and which ones you don't. When you feel, you feel, and when you don't, you don't. That's how it works, right? It's, it is extreme. It's black and white. So I just, what, what I use to guide me now is my intuition, right? My intuition will tell me if somebody's avoidant or if they're actually secure and they've learned how to regulate their emotions and they've healed their trauma and, and these sorts of things. I can feel it now because I've done the work on myself to get myself to a place where I've cleared out most of my trauma and most of the things that were clouding me from being able to see the world through the eyes of, of my truth or even in some cases, absolute truth. And I'm able to kind of, um, discern, the the people that are good for me to be around. And that's the gift of my empathy. You know, there's lots of things that come with empathy and being highly sensitive that make it really challenging to, to live on this planet. Uh, But there's also with those things comes the beautiful gifts. And one of them is being able to be a bullshit detector and you can feel people uh, when they're, when there's inauthenticity, um, which is why my brand is about inspired to be authentic. Everything for me is because I can feel inauthenticity and it's, it's, um, it doesn't sit well with me. So I want to help inspire people to live more of their truth. And, and, and part of that is feeling your feelings and no longer bypassing them. You know, as you were describing that, I was thinking of two big things, which is a lot of everything you said, but I also was thinking too about how, as we also clear out our social environment and we're more mindful of like the influences we have around us, it also I think makes us more clear of like, who we can discern to be the healthy and the avoidant, the less um, disingenuous people, and also be connecting with more 
like-minded individuals because I think in many cases, you know, our tribes, those people around us have such a huge influence on the kind of people that we're connecting with at such a big level. Like I remember when I wasn't aware of the narcissism in my family, oh my goodness, I was attracting narcissistic bosses, I was attracting narcissistic friends because they were familiar. And yeah. so I vibed off that connection because I was like, oh, it's the same kind of chemistry, amazing. And then I, but I didn't recognize the amount of abuse that I was getting from it too until I started to raise my awareness of how I felt drained in the presence of these people. I felt like there was something wrong inside of me, not as in like I'm wrong, but as in like, why is it that when I hang around these individuals, I literally feel like a pit forming in my stomach. I never feel good enough. And then when I started to get to that level, I was listening to my intuition. I was like, wow, what a difference it is when you connect with fellow empaths who actually validate your experiences versus the people who are like this, where you can feel it. And it's, it is a superpower because you're just like, whoa, like this individual, for whatever reason, does not make me feel good. I need to back away, which leads me to the second thing I was going to say, which is, I think it's incredibly hard to go from that experience to then asserting boundaries to protect our energy at the same time too, because, you know, it's whilst you're obviously reorganizing our, you know, our lives, our social groups, our lovers, our family, I think it's hard to cut those energetic cords and no longer take responsibility for other people's emotions. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're speaking, you're speaking some good stuff here. Um, this has been my one of my greatest learnings as an empath is taking responsibility. <laughs> Nobody likes it. Nobody likes to take responsibility. The ego doesn't like it, uh, but it's an act of humility and it's where our healing takes place. Um, it's easy for the empath to blame the narcissist and say, this person is, you know, taking my energy and they're a, they're a life force sucker. They're a vampire. They're this, they're that. And I hear this come from empaths all the time. And, I want to turn it back on them and say, you know what, well, what, what is it about you that you were attracting this and that you allowed this into your life, right? Um, it's about taking responsibility for yourself and uh, those energetic boundaries are everything. We need to have energetic boundaries because when, when we're an unhealed empath, it's like we have a hole in us and that prong that comes in and fills it is the narcissist because they're there to, to, to show us and teach us what we have not integrated within ourselves, which is usually worthiness and love, right, for self and, um, and needing a savior or somebody to come in and, and save us because we were usually wounded or traumatized as children because we felt everything and we didn't feel like we had somebody there to support us and love us. So we were always looking for a savior, a savior to come along and, and save us. And that happens to be the, the, um, the narcissist, you know, dressed up like the wolf and, or in sheep's clothes and, um, but if we want to heal from that, we need to first look at it. What is it about me that's attracting this into my life? And again, we, can, we can't get to that point unless we stop bypassing our emotions because we need to feel our emotions to heal and we need to heal in order to be able to um, look at why we are attracting narcissistic people into our life that take advantage of us and, and exploit our empathy, right? 100%. And to add to that too, I think it's equally damaging when we're starting to just get onto the brink of, you know, listening to our intuition when the voices of spiritual bypassing come in being like, 
you're too low vibe. You know, you need to be more positive minded. Why aren't you thinking about your partner? They're hurting too. And so that language, I think to someone who hasn't got either a very strong master of their mind or even of their own intuition, will yeah. take that on board and just think that they're worthless. And so I think that in the language of spiritual bypassing where we often are made, like, okay, for example, classic religious context in a very spiritual bypassing narrative, you'd have man and wife, you know, in that traditional marriage framework, you know, to death do we part. And I think that when you're going off scripture and you're taking it to such a level where the priests around you are telling you that you're wrong for wanting to get away from this union, that there's something wrong with you, I think we ultimately end up blaming ourselves and thinking that, oh, well, if we give up this amount of pain that we're in right now, that makes us even more unworthy. That makes us mean that we're more unlovable, that we're a failure. And so I think that part of the danger of spiritual bypassing is that when we listen to those narratives that somehow we're responsible, you know, for all of the dynamic, then I think it makes it even harder for us to separate from it. Yeah. Well, and that, isn't that the story of the empath? <laughs> Most empaths uh, in their family systems when they were younger, they were the ones that were blamed for, for the high emotionality in the family or the dysfunction in the family because they were the scapegoat, because they felt mm -hmm. everything. They resonated in truth because <laughs> empath, empath, empaths feel truth and they share that and they, they radiate that and they project that into the world. And people that aren't ready to see that truth, they reject them. So as empaths, we experience rejection from a very young age, usually within in our, our family systems. And then we, we get wounded from that, right? And we learn not to speak our truth and we learn to hide aspects of truth. And that's when we feel like our, our worth gets impacted. And then we start seeking outside of ourself for worthiness, which is the people pleasing and the codependency and all that. And it just becomes this dysfunctional, toxic patterning that we play out in, in relational dynamics. And it, it's a lot to heal it. It's a lot to heal it. I'm on this journey now. I've, I've, everything I'm talking about, I'm speaking from personal experience and um, I'm coming out of an eight month deep, dark tunnel of healing relational trauma that was, um, that was um, experienced from a young age uh, because of being highly sensitive and being empathic and, um, I was a master spiritual bypasser my whole life. I had every crystal, every book, every this, every that. And I, I would literally meditate, but my meditation was escapism um, because I didn't want to feel mm -hmm. my feelings. And part of it was because I didn't know how to feel my feelings. I was never taught. I, I come from a, an upbringing where emotion regulation was non-existent. Emotional intelligence was non-existent. Um, it was a lot of severing, right? living up from here with, within my family system. So I've had to teach myself how to feel my emotions and how to be with myself in these um, under-regulated and over-regulated states and, um, and, and teach myself how to move away from those and, and towards being with my feelings. And yeah, it's not a pleasant journey, but you know what? Uh, the end result of the journey is authenticity 
is sanity, is sleeping better at night, is less conflict in your relationships, it's um, less addictive patterns. So much, so much comes from it. And you know, it's, it's, and then the biggest one for me is relationships. Like I, I have most of my life have sucked royally at relationships, even friendships. Um, and now I'm learning the true meaning of what it means to be, um, be co-creative in a relational dynamic, whether that be romantic or platonic, um, you know, dignity gets a piece of the pie and so does humility, right? Being the student and the teacher. And I think when we're traumatized and we're, 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 we, we, we become control freaks and we just want to be the teacher. We don't want to be the student. We don't want to practice humility. At least that's been my experience. So, um, yeah, lots of juicy stuff there. Which I'm going to dissect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bring it on. There's, oh, man, that was great. I was just listening to all of that, and I was thinking, there is so much in your journey that I, I really resonate with, and thank you for sharing that too, because I feel that your story, I think, is very relatable for a lot of us, because how many of us practice mindfulness? Gratitude. Learn all these things about how to, you know, take better care of our awareness and being in the present. Mm. How many of us will say, oh, yeah, I'm fine, and, you know, operate thinking consciously, I am fine, though, like there's nothing wrong, and yet we're hiding a mountain of shame, grief, and pain beneath the surface, and it's really difficult. Like, I don't know what it would have been like for you, Matt, say maybe eight months ago, how you would have described your relationship with your upbringing compared to how you have it now, you might be the same. But the reason I say that is because I think a lot of us, I've had clients who will say to me, I had a really good family, I've got a really good job, yet I'm sucking at relationships. And often when I look at that element, despite the fact that they may have be very good with friends, Often that's when everything sorts, starts to crumble and, I, and it becomes quickly clear how much there's like elements of people pleasing. Despite the good practices that they're doing, it's just covering up a lot of the crap that they haven't decided to process through, that the miracle morning that they're having in the morning is literally just them to be productive and just to ignoring all this shit that they had to deal with last night from an ex who was abusive. And so it's just a distraction and it doesn't really help them in the moment of that. One thing that I was going to ask you, Matt, based on your journey, because it's really interesting. You've professionally gone through many evolutions in what you're doing from, you know, it was drug and addiction um, counseling, wasn't it? And then going into the fitness world and now into this space of coaching, you know, I'd love to know, how have your practices of spirituality evolved to enable you to be more authentic with yourself over time? Hmm. <clears throat> well, I think now that I think about it in retrospect, um, as a therapist, as an addiction therapist, I was pretty closed off. <laughs> I was overregulated and I was 
uh, you know, it's it's one thing to be very mind centered, intellectual as a therapist, but then it's it's a complete game changer when you become heart centered. And I wasn't heart centered. I had compassion, I had empathy, but heart centered meaning you're able to sit and be present in an emotional way with somebody. And I didn't have that capacity because we can only sit with somebody in their emotional states as deep as we're willing to sit with ourselves in emotional states. We cannot go deeper than that. And um, so my evolution was I took a break from, from addiction therapy and for five years I needed to move through a bunch of stuff. So I chose a lighter profession. I did fitness nutrition coaching while I was doing um, my spiritual path alongside. And then just two years ago, I got back into doing what I call life coaching now, which is very similar to what I was doing before, which is working with trauma and shame. And it's, it's been a game changer. My, my whole style of, of, of therapeutic work has changed. I, I operate now from more of a slowed down heart centered, um, trauma informed, which, which is really important. Um, and teaching people how to feel. That's the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing that we live in a world of, of escapism. Everybody wants to escape themselves and it's so destructive, you know, and there, and, and I'm not, I don't, I don't say that as a judgment because there's a time for escapism. I still use escapism because overwhelm is overwhelm. And sometimes we just can't sit with it. But when that's our cho chosen go-to and we use it all the time, we abuse escapism and we don't grow and evolve. So I do, I do think that it's really important to have um, an ability to be able to feel. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I love how you described in your earlier counseling years, it was very head-focused yeah. and almost a bit strategic by the sounds of it too when you're in that space because... I think that's how a lot of us operate, especially as men. Mm -hmm. We're very solution orientated. We look for ways to help. And I think in many of those cases, we do that because we're looking to please. I actually, um, I've gone on record saying this a few times and I, I feel you resonate with this. I grew up as a high achiever, not by choice or because I was more genetically gifted than anyone else, but because I was traumatized and this is something I always share with people, as I say, high achievers are not high achievers because they're necessarily better than anyone else, but because they have been conditioned in such a way where if they don't achieve, they feel like they're going to die. They feel like at a very subconscious level, they are not going to feel safe, secure, loved, and they're waiting for a payoff at the end of the road, which ironically enough will never come. <laughs> and I bring this up because... In the realm of spiritual bypassing, I think that there is a lot of this talk of just put up with whatever you're going through. Just continue on down this journey of pain and suffering and eventually you will realize the truth and have, you know, a mountain of gold at the end of the rainbow, love, worth, whatever it is you're looking for, just keep holding on because eventually it will get better. And in many cases, if you're someone who is a high achiever, often in the dating sense, I find that a lot of people um, try to impress their partners. Mm -hmm. They try to go the extra mile to win their partner over. And as a consequence, they subconsciously treat their partners like an assignment to complete, a reward to be won. And it means that when they're dealing with difficult people who they're bringing into their lives, mm -hmm sometimes unintentionally, 
to complete, they get into these really horrible situations where their body is fighting them. They then have a lot of autoimmune problems off the back of that too. Like I've gone on record many times talking about how being in a relationship that is not healthy for you has severe problems for your health and well-being, not just chronic pain, not just autoimmune problems, digestive problems, a whole range of things. And I think when we are in that sort of strategy mindset, because, you know, we've been so locked in our head for so long because that's the only way we've known how to survive. Yeah. We're not even listening to our own needs because we're so worried about what everyone else is thinking because we think that is our pathway forward. And it's hard to get out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, perfectionism is was my name of the game. <laughs> it's, uh, and high achiever as well. And I think it's the trauma brain. The trauma brain told me that at the end of my pursuits, I would find worthiness. I would find acceptance. And I did that with my body. I was... Uh, I was like borderline somatic narcissist for many years because I was like hustling for this really amazing body in fitness. I put so much pressure on myself and, you know, the only time I'd feel worthy is if I was getting likes or, or seeing the reflection in the mirror. And I, you know, I left, I left for Asia and um, spent almost a year over there healing this aspect of myself because my relationship to perfectionism and um, performance for worse was so toxic that I was able, unable to see my own brilliance and intelligence just for as it is, you know what I mean? Beingness. And I think that's the integration of what I'm working on now is um, as I've learned how to feel my feelings, I'm integrating this more, I, I, you know, I use the term feminine, divine feminine, feminine energy, but it's more yin, yin energy, right? Slow down, compassionate with self, gentle. Um, I'm learning how to integrate this part of, of uh, the divine circle, right? Half of it. I've been operating with 50% of my divine circle for most of my life, and now the other half's coming in. And it's like, man, if I've achieved all the things I've achieved in my life operating at 50% capacity, um, it's pretty amazing what to think, what I can achieve now that I'm bringing in this more feminine, slowed-down version of, the, of my divinity. So, Yeah, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. I have... Um a client who had a nervous breakdown actually just recently and for a long time, similar to your story, he'd been hustling, you know, with work, wanting to be the best, wanting to compete, be amazing in what he's doing in his field and his body punished him for it. He, and I say that with compassion, not out of like judgment in the sense that he had a really bad nervous breakdown followed by two minor heart attack like conditions and one of the most incredible things that he actually said to me last week was i have realized just how tired i am of holding on to that belief that i need to compete that i need to perform that i need to win and he said i actually just want to rest and i'm gonna find ways to allow my body to lead me in the next few months to really make me feel good and I'm actually going to start saying no to some of the stuff that I don't really enjoy. Now, granted, this is a first stage of what he's planning to do. The full journey hasn't even begun, but as a coach, I was just blown away by this because for someone to get to their rock bottom, 
physically and to then start to realize yeah these beliefs i have are really not serving me very well mm-hmm. and to actually start to turn it around and be like i need to i really need to work on myself in a way that helps me work through these psychosomatic challenges that i'm going through mm-hmm. i mean that was such a heartwarming experience for me because i was just like wow i think so many of us you know will will go through a lot of pain and we won't be ready for that next step to actually heal work through our own stuff to reconnect with our bodies mm. and when we finally do i think that's when we go back to what you were saying we connect with that other 50% of us because that's the half of us that was you know lagging behind and trying to get us back to it this entire time yeah yeah definitely um i want to make a point before before uh, the end of this live to speak and again like i represent empaths and highly sensitive people that's my work and gay men um but i want to talk a bit a bit about shame because i think it's important to to bleed this into this concept because as empaths highly sensitive people we grow up in family systems that tend to like i said before like shame us for feeling because our feelings are inconvenient our feelings bring out truths they make other people feel things um so within our family systems we were shamed from a very young age to not feel so we shut off we dissociate we numb we repress we spiritually bypass as adults and i think it's really important to acknowledge the shame because that is what is telling us the shame wounding is telling us don't feel your feelings because if you feel you're going to inconvenience the people around you stay in isolation stay in your own stuff close down your heart i think this is a big part of it because we want to make sure that we um are addressing shame right and it's it's funny because whenever this word comes up shame it's like people start running for the hills it's such a taboo topic and it brings up so much nastiness for people but it is the stuff that you got to work with you know what i mean it's huge shame and trauma are the things that are causing so much destruction in this world and if we were able to address these two core things shame and trauma this world would be a way better place to to be more functional for sure i completely agree with you mm-hmm. i want to add to that too by saying i think there needs to be more compassion for shame meaning yeah. that i think shame biologically serves us to be like okay if you take this action it doesn't feel good can we not do this again mm-hmm. i don't think we need a choir of people beating us with sticks being like how dare you do this and i think we already do enough of that in our head we don't need a physical audience doing that to us too now granted there are degrees of actions that we can take which can cause us shame i'm not suggesting that we need to you know murder someone before we have our reconciliation with ourselves but i'm saying that you know it generally doesn't feel good to lie and it generally doesn't feel good to do things that go against our values yeah. and so i think that if we're aware of that and we can actually tune in on that at a much more physiological level it makes it so much easier to be like yeah i don't want to do that again but i think it's important as you said to sit with it and i have had people including myself where when we've just sat in that mud of shame that we've had oh my god it's painful like it's it's not fun <laughs> and it's necessary too because that reconciliation that we have and learning to realize we're not a bad person for feeling this way in fact if anything we're actually improving ourselves by realizing why we did what we did at the time 
how it doesn't feel good and we don't want to feel this way again and how we can also learn to forgive ourselves for what we did in the past. I see so many people who have what I call reactive abuse in relationships where they act badly in toxic dynamics and they blame themselves. They think I was violent, I was crazy in that last relationship. And it's like, yeah, because you're in a bad environment. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yeah. And I think just learning to sit with that and actually just to take, I think, the morality out of it too, like the good and the bad, and just be like, you're just a human being going through a very human experience. It is okay to screw up and to realize why it doesn't feel good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing that stands out, you said it, and it wasn't, it wasn't the meat of everything you said, but you said sitting in the mud. And there's a term um, in yoga, I can't remember who said it, it's a quote, but um, no mud, no lotus. And that's shadow work. That's the definition of shadow work. If you're not willing to trudge through the swamp and get muddy, you're not going to get your lotus. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people, they're just the concept of sitting with their splits and the aspects of themselves that they reject is just torture. But it's not any worse than the torture that you already have playing in the background in your mind that's all the self-doubt and all the self-loathing and the self-hatred. It's all there. You're just connecting with it so you can release it, right? So shadow work is, is a game changer. It's changed my life. And that's the opposite of spiritual bypassing is shadow work, is going there, going to those places and, and meeting your shadows. And, you know, oftentimes people think that shadow work is about you just take your shadow and you extract it and it's gone. But it's actually a process of self-acceptance. You, you, you literally meet these parts of yourself that you split from and you say, hey, come on back to the table. I want to welcome you back. And then you integrate, right? So the shadow is still there. The things that you may have not liked about yourself, they still are there. You've just changed the relationship you have with those things. And um, so, yeah, I can't speak enough about shadow work and how much of a game changer it is for people. Yeah, I completely agree. The one thing I'd add to that too is, and this is a me thing, uh, look at me going through my own shadow stuff. I have, I suppose, a thing around some of the terminology and naming of these things. Like, for example, sometimes when I think we hear of like the divine feminine, the divine masculine, shadow work, self-love, they're buzzwords that often I feel don't allow people to properly understand why they're so important. Like when I think of self-love, I just say it's reparenting yourself. It's really treating yourself with kindness. Shadow work is actually just getting comfortable with the uncomfortable feelings you have and realizing their messages and clues for you to work through. And I think the only reason I bring this up is because I think we can have real ego responses to some of these practices being like, oh, God, I don't want to touch that because that's, you know, that just feels so weird, that feels so wrong. But I think that the key part of that is just being like, as you said, like, you know, when we talk to the, the various parts of ourselves, in this instance, me talking to my ego being like, yes, I know we have a thing about some of the terminology of this, but look at how good it has been for bringing us personalities back to the table to accept that this is actually okay, that I can have a moment like that where I'm like, this is a bit strange. And just go, yeah, that's just my ego having a response to that particular, you know, language. And it doesn't feel like it's a big deal when you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I can't say I don't uh, disagree with you because all these buzzwords are thrown around constantly. And I first heard the term toxic positivity 
I had a, a almost like a visceral resistance to the word because I'm like, what's wrong with positivity? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have the same gotta, thing. Why do we got to shame positivity? But it's, uh, you know, I, I, it's just different ways of, of inviting people into a process that um, and helping them understand it. And if, it, if a buzzword brings somebody into um, more consciousness and more self-awareness, hey, I'm all for it. <laughs> we, need, we need more of it on the planet. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And I think where I'm also going with this to wrap this up is I think we need to be as people more discerning of who we follow, who we allow into our world to influence us because as much as it would be lovely to have it love, light and rainbows, that's not the reality of it. And I think that, you know, what you're doing and what you've shared today, Matt, which I'm extremely grateful for is allowing people to see the the messy parts of who we are and just realizing hey we've all got these messy parts in us and that if you think that manifestation that even other areas of your life are just going to be hunky-dory into the middle of the night we're all going to be great you're kidding yourself and it's just going to hurt you more than anything else yeah yeah, I agree. And that's why I share the way I share. And I think for some people, it's very off-putting and, and some people love it. And it, But at the end of the day, I do it because I think um, I want people to know that we don't need to live in shame, that we can we can share these parts of ourselves that we've been told aren't okay. And they're, it's, it incites self-judgment when we see other people hiding aspects of themselves and not being vulnerable it energetically tells us that it's okay, not okay to be ourselves. So vulnerability is is a game changer. It's how we, we share with the world that it's okay to show up in your truth, uh, whatever that truth might be. And I think that's uh, that's how I've that's how I've done a lot of healing actually in my life is just by speaking some of my truths that for many years I hid. I hid those aspects of me and they were shadows. And the way of bringing my shadows into the light has been sharing them in, in connection and uh and by being self-expressive so i encourage people to be inspired to be authentic and uh, and start speaking your truth and sharing it with people and obviously in a safe setting it's taken me a long time in sharing to get to where i'm at where i can share publicly like even on my youtube channel and stuff like that but for people just start with a friend um and just start sharing parts of yourself that maybe you think um aren't acceptable and and, and find ways to make peace with them yeah Mm, I agree. I agree. And I think that should be in for things that not only we've done, but also things that have happened to us as well. Yeah. Because I think sometimes a lot of the shame we have is not just our own actions, but also things that have happened to us that have made us feel unworthy and unlovable. And I think until we can reconcile that, we just attract more of the same into our world. And it's not to say that we need to just wipe all of that away it's about honoring shedding light on some of those things i mean without going into like internal family systems therapy and the theory behind that i think just learning to be more accepting and loving of ourselves and things that have happened to us and things that we've done so that way we can actually bring ourselves back together and bring that authentic version of us to the front so that's the driver hmm. of our person roaming around so yeah matt thank you for joining me today to talk about the dangers of spiritual bypassing that was good fun i was gonna say just to wrap this up 
to anyone who is new to who you are and wants to find you, where can they find you on Instagram or on YouTube for that matter? Yeah, um, Inspired to be Authentic is my handle on Instagram, which if uh, you're watching this, you'll be able to see it on the thing. And then my YouTube, um, where I do most of my videos. So my Instagram is written content mostly. Um, I love writing, but I also love speaking. So I speak on my YouTube and I write on my Instagram. And uh, my, my YouTube is, if you just search Matt Lancedal YouTube, you'll find it. But Inspired to be Authentic, you'll find it on YouTube as well. So yeah, come on over and check out some of my content. If you like it, subscribe and stay and hang out with me. <laughs> I think that's a very good invitation. And then for those of uh, your audience who are finding me for the first time, my Instagram handle is ken.read.co. And I mostly talk like I'm on a TED Talk stage, but if that entertains you, great. Other than that, though, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you have an amazing rest of your evening. And I will upload this now onto IGTV and I will share this, obviously, with you and your audience very soon. So, yeah. Hope you have a great night. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you, too. Actually, one thing is we should tell them about our, um, if you liked our vibes, we have a podcast episode on people-pleasing, which I think a lot of people that are, that are in this realm of bypassing also use people-pleasing as a strategy, so they would find value in that as well. So, I completely forgot about that. You're absolutely right. Not that I, don't get me wrong, I love the episode. That was a lot of fun. I was just, I completely forgot about its relationship with um, what we were talking about today, and I think you're absolutely right. That episode was... A lot of fun to record yeah. and I think that the themes of upbringing that we've talked about today will have huge parallels in that episode that we did too so it's on my YouTube channel you'll find it there if you go to my YouTube channel uh, Ken and I are on there so like and subscribe <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoy, I always enjoy talking with you. You're very stimulating um, for me and you bring out the best in me. So thank you for that. <laughs> that is, honestly, thank you so much for saying that because um, truly, I, I really appreciate that. And honestly, having conversations with you and meeting more people like you who are part of this tribe of mine excite and uplift me. So... <laughs> It's just really, really wonderful to connect with people like yourself too who are going through this journey because the last thing I'll say is the last eight months I've like obviously not seen it all but I've heard bits and pieces of it and I know how challenging it has been and what a roller coaster ride it has been. And the way you've worked through that has been beyond inspiring and just so cool. And I think that with every major trough, there's usually a lot of growth to happen off the back of that too and I'm excited to see what breakthroughs this has for you. I already know you've had a few recently but I think that it's just at the precipice and there's some really beautiful things that are yet to come for you too Matt so I'm excited to see what comes up next. Thank you. Yeah me too. <laughs> it's a roller coaster ride and I'm on it so let's do this. <laughs> I feel the same way, especially after the last three months for me where I had like an existential crisis. But anyways, I'll let you go. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Thank you to your audience and very much looking forward to uploading this today. Awesome. Okay, we'll be in touch soon. Sounds good. Bye, Matt. Ciao.